1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for downloading episode number 183 of our Civil War podcast. I'm Rich.
0: And I'm Tracy. Hello, y'all. Welcome to the podcast. As y'all recall, at the end of the last episode, a copy of Robert E. Lee's Special Orders number 191 had fallen into the hands of George McClellan. In civil war lore this incident during the antietam campaign has been seen as a golden opportunity a pivotal moment and it has come to be known rather dramatically as simply the lost order
1: lee composed number one ninety one on tuesday september ninth eighteen sixty two at his headquarters at frederick in western maryland where his invading army was halted briefly, while Lee was contemplating nothing less than delivering a knockout blow to the Yankees and winning independence for the Confederacy. You see, General Lee was on a roll. In June, he had beaten McClellan in front of Richmond. In August, he had given John Pope a good kicking at Bull Run in front of Washington. Now, in September, in crossing the Potomac and striking north, Lee intended to draw the Union Army after him and away from its Washington base. In due course, either in western Maryland or up in Pennsylvania, Lee would maneuver the Yankees into a decisive battle.
0: Robert E. Lee, in recalling the Antietam campaign after the war, was quite clear about his intentions to inflict a crushing defeat upon the Union Army, which was in McClellan's hands once again. He said, I went into Maryland to give battle." Lee added that if all had gone as he planned, then quote, I would have fought and crushed him.
1: To clear the way for his march west and north, Lee had to establish a new line of supply and communication back to Virginia through the Shenandoah Valley, and to do that he had to dispose of the federal garrisons guarding the lower valley at Martinsburg and Harper's Ferry. Lee spelled out his plan for doing that in Special Orders Number 191.
0: Lee assigned 26 of the Army's 40 brigades to the task of clearing the Yankees out of Martinsburg and Harpers Ferry. In thus dividing his army in the face of superior forces, Lee was taking a risk, but it seems to have given him little real concern. He had gambled and divided his forces twice before, against McClellan in June and against Pope in August, and each time it had brought him victory.
1: Here, to be sure, the Confederates sent to clear the two federal outposts would be beyond practical supporting distance for as long as the job would take. But although McClellan had marched from Washington sooner than Lee had expected— The reports that reached Lee indicated that although Little Mac was moving, he was moving cautiously, slowly. Lee's entire plan, therefore, depended on speed, and on Little Mac continuing to move blindly, and with a timidity that Lee firmly believed was the dominant factor in McClellan's military character.
0: Besides, the opposing armies would be separated by the substantial barrier of South Mountain, with its gap sealed off from probing Yankees by Jeb Stuart's cavalry. Lee reasoned that by the time Little Mac sorted out what was going on, the Army of Northern Virginia would be reunited, its new supply line would be secure, and preparations would, would have started for the next and decisive phase of the campaign.
1: During the day on September 9th, Lee's adjutant, R.H. Chilton, busied himself at Army headquarters, making copies of Number 191 for delivery to the commanders involved in carrying out Lee's plan. It was, or ought to have been, a simple and routine job for the couriers, since almost the entire Confederate Army was then encamped in the immediate vicinity of Frederick.
0: When Stonewall Jackson received his copy of Number 191, he transcribed another in his own hand and sent that copy to D.H. Hill, whose division had been under his command crossing the Potomac, but was now being detached for duty with James Longstreet. All the Confederate commanders were duly informed of Lee's plans, therefore, and that evening marching orders went down the chain of command, telling the men to prepare to move out the next day, September 10th.
1: And so, as we said previously, Lee's army marched west from Frederick on the 10th, with Jackson leading the way. Several days later, on the morning of Saturday the 13th, among the Federal units arriving at Frederick was the 1st Division of the 12th Corps. In a meadow on the outskirts of the city, where a division of rebels had been encamped shortly before, Corporal Barton W. Mitchell of the 27th Indiana was chatting with Sergeant John M. Bloss when Mitchell noticed a bulky envelope in the tall grass nearby and picked it up.
0: Inside the envelope was a sheet of paper wrapped around three cigars. The cigars were a major discovery, but out of curiosity, Mitchell and Bloss scanned the document with the cigars. It was headed, Headquarters Army of Northern Virginia, Special Orders number 191 and scattered throughout the text were names the Yankee soldiers knew only too well—Jackson, Longstreet, Stewart. This copy of the orders was addressed to D.H. Hill, and there at the end the document said, by command of General R.E. Lee.
1: Mitchell and Bloss began to suspect that the piece of paper might be a discovery even more important than the cigars. In short order, the paper was being examined by Alpheus Williams— who was still leading the 12th Corps until the arrival of its new commander, Joseph Mansfield. Williams and his aide, Colonel Samuel Pittman, realized the document, if it was authentic, was a stunning discovery. It spelled out in complete detail the current operational plan of the entire enemy army, including the location of every one of its major units.
0: And there was every reason to believe it was authentic. It just so happened that Colonel Pittman had been stationed with R.H. Chilton on a tour of duty in the pre-war army and knew him well. Pittman told Williams that he recognized Chilton's handwriting and would vouch for the fact that the writer of the document was Lee's adjutant.
1: Alpheus Williams rushed the document on to George McClellan, and just three or so hours after its discovery, The lost order was in Little Mac's hands. At headquarters just then was a delegation of local citizens come to discuss the army stay in Frederick. McClellan broke off the discussion with them to study the dispatch and William's covering note. Suddenly Little Mac threw up his hands and exclaimed, Now I know what to do.
0: The excited general no doubt ushered his visitors out with the explanation that he had pressing army business to attend to. McClellan had two recent telegrams from Abraham Lincoln. One asked, how does it look now? And with the lost order in his hands, Little Mac promptly sat down and addressed a reply to the president.
1: McClellan's reply to Lincoln communicated Little Mac's sense of elation at just having received the copy of Lee's orders. McClellan told the president, quote, I have the whole rebel force in front of me, but I'm confident and no time shall be lost. I have a difficult task to perform, but with God's blessing will accomplish it. I think Lee has made a gross mistake, and that he will be severely punished for it. I have all the plans of the rebels, and will catch them in their own trap if my men are equal to the emergency. We'll send you trophies.
0: Before receiving the unexpected gift of a copy of Lee's orders, George McClellan had been moving with extreme caution, because he had only the sketchiest information on Confederate strength and intentions. And so, as we mentioned in the last episode, when the Union Army marched from Washington, it did so promptly but cautiously. McClellan had the Army of the Potomac slowly fan out into Maryland in a 25-mile arc to cover a broad swath of territory.
1: According to Stephen Sears in his book, Landscape Turned Red, The Battle of Antietam, with his army divided into three wings, left, center, and right, commanded by Franklin, Sumner, and Burnside, Little Mac had some 85,000 men in the field, under arms. Another 70,000 or so troops were left behind, manning the Washington defenses. And so, even apart from reinforcements that might be called up from the capital, McClellan had the advantage in manpower over the rebels, especially as Lee's army continued to leak stragglers at an alarming rate. But Little Mac was quite unable to grasp the reality of his superiority in numbers, because, as he had done before, he continued to wildly overestimate Confederate troop
0: strength. McClellan based his estimate of enemy strength on two main sources. One was Alan Pinkerton. An analysis by Pinkerton dated August 10th had placed total Confederate strength in Virginia at 200,000. Then on the eve of the second Manassas campaign, Pinkerton credited Lee with having 120,000 troops with which to battle John Pope. So Little Mac had those inaccurate reports from Pinkerton, and then once the Maryland campaign started, he also received faulty intelligence from his cavalry.
1: The Federal Horsemen, led by Alfred Pleasanton, probed the Confederate positions around Frederick, but were stymied by Jeb Stuart's troopers. Nevertheless, on September 7th, Pleasanton, an old friend of McClellan's, reported that Lee had 30,000 men at Frederick, with another 60,000 under Stonewall Jackson sweeping north and east to threaten Baltimore. The next day, Pleasanton reported confidently that Lee had 100,000 men and was about to invade Pennsylvania.
0: All of this, of course, only fed Little Mac's tendency to inflate enemy strength and reinforced his predisposition to act with extreme caution. The intelligence that arrived at McClellan's headquarters over the next three days only added to his certainty that he was outnumbered and needed to advance with extreme care. On the afternoon of Thursday, September 11th, Little Mac composed a long telegram to Henry Halleck in which he stated that Lee's army numbered, quote, not less than 120,000 men, end quote.
1: That Thursday, the day he sent that telegram mm-hmm. to Halleck, Little Mac had started to receive reports that the Confederates were on the move, pulling out of Frederick, and headed west. And so by September 11th, McClellan believed he could be certain of two things. One, Lee's army outnumbered him substantially, and two, it was on the move again. Where it was bound, however, he was not at all certain. Little Mac ordered his army to close up on Frederick, but on Friday the 12th, as the Confederates began shutting the trap on Harper's Ferry, Little Mac's grasp of Lee's intentions remained vague and uncertain. The Federal commander was receiving conflicting reports that once they had crossed South Mountain, the rebels were headed both north to Hagerstown and south toward Harper's Ferry. These movements mystified George McClellan. In short, Little Mac had no clear idea of what Lee was doing. But then on Saturday the 13th, the Lost Order fell into his hands.
0: How the famous Lost Order was lost is one of the enduring mysteries of the Civil War. Really, just two things are known for certain— the first is that a copy of Special Orders Number no. 191, the copy sent by Staff Officer Chilton to D.H. Hill, was not delivered on September 9th. The copy that Hill did receive that day was the one sent to him by Stonewall Jackson. The second thing that is known for certain is that the lost copy of Number no. 191 was found on September 13th by Corporal Mitchell of the 27th Indiana.
1: The courier from Lee's headquarters, who should have delivered number 191 to D. H. Hill, ought to have returned with the envelope, which was intended to serve as a delivery receipt. That the man returned without the envelope was somehow overlooked by Chilton. The careless courier probably lost the orders when he took a rest stop or whatnot along the way, then proceeded to D. H. Hill's headquarters, and found that Hill had a copy of his orders.
0: Which was actually the copy Hill had received from Stonewall Jackson.
1: Exactly. But what probably happened is that the courier, who was no doubt simply relieved to discover that Hill had a copy of the orders, then returned to Lee's headquarters and, um, didn't see the need to mention the fact that he'd lost the dispatch. Thus, nowhere in the Confederate chain of command was the alarm raised on September 9th. D. H. Hill had his marching orders, and from Stonewall Jackson, as he expected, and Chilton, at Army headquarters, somehow overlooked the fact that the envelope from one copy of Number 191 wasn't returned as a delivery receipt, and he therefore assumed the full set of orders had been safely conveyed to their intended recipients.
0: Lee didn't find out about the lost order until much later, three and a half months after the end of the Antietam campaign, but to our knowledge, even then neither he nor Chilton ever investigated the matter. And so how exactly the lost order was lost will probably forever remain a mystery.
1: However it happened, the loss of that copy of number 191 threatened the dispersed and divided Army of Northern Virginia with unmitigated disaster. McClellan himself summed up the matter perfectly on September 13th when he waived the lost order in front of one of his brigadiers, John Gibbon, and declared, quote, Here is a paper with which if I cannot whip a Bobby Lee, I will be willing to go home, end quote.
0: McClellan had been mystified by the maneuverings of Lee's army, but now the scales fell from his eyes and all was clear. The lost order told him that Stonewall Jackson had been sent down to deal with Harper's Ferry, while the rest of the Confederate army was at Boonesboro, just across South Mountain. Now, Little Mac knew that by moving with speed and breaking through South Mountain, he could fall on Lee's divided and vulnerable army."
1: We've been talking a lot about Washington and Frederick and Boonesboro and Harper's Ferry and even Hagerstown over the last episode or so, and it may have been hard to keep track of all those places if you didn't have your Civil War atlas open in front of you.
0: And here, as we have in the past, we'll say once again that the atlas we're partial to, if we had to pick just one, is our much-worn copy of Echoes of Glory, Illustrated Atlas of the Civil War by Time Life Books.
1: Yes, uh, but basically, even without an atlas, you can picture in your mind's eye Frederick, Maryland, where Lee's army went after crossing the Potomac. Then just to the west of Frederick is a north-south running range of hills known as the Catoctins. Then the next line of hills to the west is the South Mountain Range and even the South Mountain Range isn't what we here in Colorado would actually think of as mountains, but it's just some steep hills. But nevertheless, the South Mountain Range was enough of a barrier that a Civil War army couldn't cross it easily except at several passes or gaps. At any rate, just to the west of South Mountain was the Cumberland Valley and Boonesboro. If you headed north from Boonesboro... You would go up to Hagerstown, Maryland, and beyond Hagerstown was the Pennsylvania border. If you headed south from Boonesboro, you would reach the Potomac and Harper's Ferry. So there you go. An army marching west from Frederick would encounter the Catoctins, then hit South Mountain. Beyond South Mountain was the Cumberland Valley and Boonesboro. North of Boonesboro was Hagerstown, south was Harper's Ferry.
0: And if you took a road out of Boonesboro that headed southwest, you would eventually cross a stream known as Antietam Creek and then reach a town called Sharpsburg.
1: Exactly.
0: Okay. In any event, when Little Matt got his hands on the lost order, it must have seemed that his prayers had been answered. After waving the lost order in John Gibbon's face, McClellan proclaimed, quote, I will put Lee in a position he will find hard to get out of. Castiglione will be nothing to it, end quote.
1: Castiolone was Napoleon's stunning divide-and-conquer victory over a scattered Austrian army back in 1796.
0: And now with Lee's plans in his hands, Little Mac had visions of winning his own Castiolone.
1: At noon on Saturday, September 13th, there were 13 federal divisions at Frederick, a dozen miles from Turner's Gap in South Mountain. To the south were four more divisions, a dozen miles from Crampton's Gap in South Mountain. So on September 13th, after getting that copy of Lee's plans, to cash in on that extraordinary piece of luck, McClellan need only advance his forces to the base of South Mountain that afternoon and evening, where they would be positioned to storm the gaps at first light the next morning, Sunday the 14th and once the Army of the Potomac had stormed over South Mountain, the Federals would burst into the Cumberland Valley and fall upon the divided Confederates and, as Little Mac boasted, whip Bobby Lee.
0: In order to take full advantage of having a copy of Number 191 fall into his hands, McClellan needed to set his army in motion immediately in response to what he'd just found out about Lee's plans. But as Stephen Sears points out in that article about the Lost Order in the Civil War Monitor magazine...
1: Which was last episode's book recommendation...
0: Right. But as Sears writes in that article, McClellan's initial excitement at his good fortune quickly gave way to second thoughts, and the only advances the Army made that day, the 13th, were short marches that had been previously assigned. Sears points out that 18 hours would pass before the first Federals advanced in direct response to finding of the lost order.
1: Little Mac's innate caution began to reassert itself when he realized that although the lost order made it clear Lee had divided his forces, there was no specific mention of actual enemy numbers. Only words such as command and division were used in number 191. And remember that Little Mac believed the rebel army totaled 120,000 men, and now, upon reflection, he supposed that Lee's willingness to divide his forces was just further evidence that the Confederates did indeed have superior numbers. To McClellan's way of thinking, Lee would never divide his army unless the rebel commander had an overwhelming host to work with in the first place.
0: As McClellan's doubts and fears began to assert themselves, he realized that the lost order seemed to raise more questions than it answered. It was dated September 9th, after all, and identified the 12th as the day Lee wished the Harper's Ferry operation to be completed, yet that place was still in Union hands. Incredible reports seemed to indicate Longstreet's command was up at Hagerstown, rather than Boonesboro, as Number 191 had it.
1: That piece of intelligence was, in fact, correct, since, as you guys will recall from the last show, Lee had altered that part of his plan and Longstreet hadn't remained at Boonesboro, but had marched north to Hagerstown, leaving only D.H. Hill's division and Jeb Stewart's cavalry to guard South Mountain.
0: And Harper's Ferry was still in federal hands on the 13th, because as y'all will recall from the last show, Lee's plan for that operation had fallen behind schedule.
1: So, at any rate, all of that's to say that after the lost order was placed in his hands at noon on September 13th, Little Mac's initial excitement quickly faded and was replaced by his usual cautiousness. Rather than throwing his army in motion at once in response to Number 191, McClellan took the rest of the day to attempt to verify the information it contained, then to form a plan of attack.
0: This is important because September 14th could have been McClellan's day to achieve his own Castellone by aggressively exploiting the initiative and capitalizing on the lost order and bursting through the South Mountain Gaps at first light that day to surprise the scattered and vulnerable Confederate Army.
1: But instead, because McClellan dawdled on the 13th, the 14th would turn into a long, bloody struggle for the mountain passes. The Federals would spend half the day getting to the battlefront, and half fighting the rebel rear guard on the mountaintop as Longstreet marched back from Hagerstown in time to make a battle of it. In the end, South Mountain was a Union victory, but not before Robert E. Lee gained the time to reunite his scattered army.
0: That means it's time for this episode's book recommendation. And our recommendation this time is The Battle of South Mountain by John David Hoptak.
1: This is part of the History Press's Civil War Sesquicentennial series. We'll talk about the fighting at South Mountain on September 14th in more detail in the next episode. But if you want to get a jump on that discussion, you can pull Hoptak's excellent account of the battle off your bookshelf or if you don't already have it in your Civil War library, then we recommend that you pick it up. The Fighting at South Mountain is an important part of the story that takes us up to Antietam, so if you want to get a complete picture of the campaign, you probably want to have this book in your library.
0: So that's The Battle of South Mountain by John David Hoptak. Don't forget, you can find all of our book recommendations at the podcast website which is www.civilwarpodcast.org.
1: And then we're getting dangerously close to the 50th members episode. In fact, we plan on having the next show on the CSS Arkansas out next weekend, and that'll be number 50. Maybe since it'll be a special occasion, and since we're talking about the Arkansas, we can get Tracy as a proud alum of the University of Arkansas, to give us a rousing Woo Pig Suey. Rich. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving right along, here's a quick shout out to Bill B., who joined the Strawfoot Brigade this past week.
0: Thanks, Bill. And a special thank you also to Katie, who is on maternity leave and who made our week by letting us know about our youngest listeners, Pearl and Cecilia
1: although I hope she covers their ears when I talk about John B. Floyd. Uh, anyway, um, thanks to everyone who has got in touch with us lately. Uh, there have been quite a few of you lately, and you all seem to be excited about getting to Antietam. And well, we are too. So as we continue to work our way up to Antietam, thanks for listening to this episode of The Civil War, 1861-1865, to a history podcast. Tracy and I do hope you'll join us again next time, but until then, take care.
0: Thanks, everyone. Bye.